Lord, as we contemplate your word, we ask that you would touch our hearts and our minds, that we would speak and hear your truth, and that we would come to a greater appreciation of all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The cross, the death of Christ, the resurrection, the whole circumstances of the Passover of Easter can be described as the most important event in human history. Most particularly the cross, the atonement and the death of Jesus. On Good Friday, as we consider all that Jesus went through, as we read the narrative of the storyline of the Gospels, of how he was tried, the greatest miscarriage of justice in human history, as he was tried and executed and died on the cross. Our minds naturally think to the the whole storyline of what happened. If you've seen the Jesus film or the film Jesus of Nazareth, your minds might go back to the clips from the scenes of the, the film. Or if we haven't seen those or can't remember them, our imagination just imagines what it was like as we read. And that's part of what the the Gospels are there for, to, to help us to see through the words what happened. Around the world, there are many people and cultures who focus on the physical trial, the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus. There are passion plays that are acted out where people go through the streets. Somebody carrying a cross looking made up with makeup to to look like somebody who had been scourged like Jesus was. These passion plays are acted out in some parts of the world. In other parts of the world, people go around the stations of the cross in churches, which mark the significant points of Jesus' trial through to his death and and his burial. But in all these things we can just see and be reminded of the the physical things that Jesus suffered, the physical death that well, there were many people who suffered a, a crucifixion. The Romans were experts at perfecting a painful, excruciating death. But why do we remember the suffering of Jesus both before the cross, on the cross and his death? Why do we remember? Why is it so significant? Why do we look to the cross with, on the one hand, sorrow for what Jesus suffered, but on the other hand, joy for what he achieved? There's much more that that happened then than just a man or a good man or the only perfect man ever dying on the cross. As we look at Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15, we, we see that Paul goes past just telling us about what happened. He gives us insights as to the significance of what happened, why it was important. He tells us that there was the atonement for sin which dealt with the matter of justice for our sins before God the Father so that we could be forgiven. God just can't say, okay, you're forgiven. Forget about justice. People would be up in arms if we did that, let alone God. 
The cross is the basis for which we become new people. We who are spiritually dead, Paul tells us, are now spiritually alive. And it's the event in history when the devil and the evil rulers and the authorities in the spiritual world, they were conquered. Christ triumphed over them. Paul introduces these truths in Colossians 2, verses 6 to 8, by encouraging believers to walk in Christ, to be rooted and built up in him, in the faith that they once received, not to be taken in by worldly ideas. As the New Living Translation puts it, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. We remember the cross not simply because it happened in history and it was a special event in history. We remember the cross because because of the cross, we are freed from sin. We are no longer captives to sin. We are spiritually alive. And yet, there's a tendency to, to follow the empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense as the New Living Translation struggles to try and show how empty and how futile it is to follow the ways of the world. And yet, Paul is writing to Christians like us, who are constantly being tempted away from the cross, constantly being tempted to think you need spiritual fulfillment, you need more of something, you can get it in this, you can get it in that. We're constantly distracted by worldly ideas that promise more fulfillment. But if we are lacking something, if we need more fulfillment, actually what we need is more of the cross, not something else instead. In Colossians 2 here we see some of the reasons why the cross is the most significant event in human history. Firstly, Christ is completely God and we are complete in him. Paul doesn't lead straight to the cross in this passage. So let's let's just focus on what Paul focuses on first, but we'll get there to what he says about the cross very shortly. We want to be complete. We want to be fulfilled. But people try and do that in different ways. We look at other religions and we don't see that people are being fulfilled. We see people seeking and hoping for fulfillment and they think they've got it a bit, but ultimately they don't. Buddha didn't resolve the problems of sin and suffering in the world. He just taught that if you can train your mind to think they don't matter, well, you won't be so affected by the problems in the world. But that doesn't do justice to the fact that we were built, we were created to have responses, to have thoughts, emotions, to feel. Allah didn't atone for our sins. He doesn't save anyone. 
people just have to hope that they've done enough to merit being vindicated on that judgment day before him. But there's no salvation for those who don't merit it. People trust in angels or dreams or psychics, the many gods of Hinduism. And deep down they know that none of these gives the fulfillment that they need. None of these things is fully God, is fully almighty, fully all-present, fully perfect, fully holy, fully gracious, loving and merciful. We could go on and we could list many different ways in which different philosophies or religions are deficient. But all these other empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, as the NLT puts it, are poor substitutes for the real thing, the fullness we have in Christ Jesus. In him the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Paul's point is not just to teach us that in Christ lives all the fullness of God. We know that. we The doctrine of the Trinity and the various Bible truths that feed into that. We know that we have three persons in one God. And each is fully God, but yet three persons. We know Christ is all the fullness of God. But Paul is saying more than that. He's saying that in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. We can't get our heads around that. The creator of the universe who made the stars and the galaxy, well... Genesis 1.16 is a very interesting verse. (coughs) God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, that's the sun, and the smaller one to govern the night, that's the moon. And as we look with telescopes now to the furthest distances of the, the universe, as far as we can see, we see how vast the universe is, the galaxies are, how big they are, how big the universe is. But Genesis 1.16 puts in a throwaway comment and he also made the stars. God who is so almighty made all of this restricted himself to come in a human body. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's hard to get our heads around. But the reason Paul is saying that is so that he can tell us that we can be fulfilled in him, in Christ. We are fulfilled. If we want to be fulfilled, we need Christ. He says in verse 10, so you are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. That word complete is the same word in Greek that is used for the fullness that we're told about Christ. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ we have the fullness. We have the fullness of God in Christ. So if we're looking for something, we shouldn't be looking for something other than Christ. We should be looking for more of Christ. 
second thing Paul teaches is that Christ gives us new life by his death and resurrection. Paul describes our new life in a few different ways. It's a renovation of the heart. Christ's death becomes our death. And Christ's resurrection from the death from the dead becomes our resurrection to life too. We spoke about this more last week, so we won't focus too much on it today. But let's just summarize that our life in Christ is bound up with his resurrection from the dead. He had to die in order to be raised from the dead. Humanity had to come to life again. But in order to do that, humanity had to die. In Christ, his death is our death. And his resurrection is our resurrection. In Christ's death, we were buried with him when we placed our faith in him and were baptized into him. When Paul talks about being baptized into Christ, he's not talking about water. He's talking about being immersed into Christ. We are now in Christ. To be baptized means to be immersed. We are now in Christ when we place our faith in him. We have been immersed into Christ. And it's water baptism that signifies that. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Because we are in Christ, when he raised from, rose from the dead, we have risen from spiritual deadness to life through faith in him. But third, Christ's suffering results in our forgiveness. Sin is so serious that God can't just sweep it under the carpet. It's far more serious than we can imagine. So serious that Jesus had to die on the cross. But God doesn't want to judge us. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that who, whoever, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He has provided a way for us. That's what the cross does, that we would have eternal life through faith in him. And so he pleads with us like he pleads in Isaiah 118 with the, the Israelites. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. We are forgiven because God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin on the cross so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Our sins are gone. We've been set free. We are forgiven. Praise God. The fourth thing that Paul teaches us here is that Christ's atonement provides a new basis for us to relate to God. It's not just that we are forgiven. God doesn't hold our sins against us any any longer. The slate is wiped clean. But the word in Greek, my pronunciation isn't great, kerographon in verse 14 is more difficult to to translate. It occurs only once in the New Testament here in this this verse. In the New Living Translation, it, it, it is translated, the record of the charges against us. The ESV has it the record of debt that stood against us? 
and with a few more words, and its legal demands. That word literally means only a handwritten document, but it has been used in other literature of the time to refer to debts, unpaid debts that need to be paid. But combining it with the, the legal demands, that word dogma in Greek, the legal requirements, we see in this verse that Jesus did more than just pay the debt. He cancelled the whole process by which we were guilty before God. He cancelled the whole process where we are guilty by being in God's debt, by not keeping works of the law. He cancelled this by nailing it to the cross. Not only is our sin nailed to the cross, not only did Jesus die on the cross to pay the price for our sin, but he also set aside how we relate to God on the basis of owing him obedience in the flesh. On the one hand, we're forgiven. On the other hand, we now relate to God by grace. That old way of relating to God is nailed to the cross, gone forever. We can never be guilty again because that way of relating to God is gone. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. That's what Christ's death on the cross has done for us. We relate to God in a new way. We're no we're not absolved from having to obey God, but it doesn't carry the significance of punishment if we don't. We are enabled to obey him by walking in the spirit. And when we deviate from that, when we sin, that sin's already been paid on the cross. The cross enabled us to move from being in Adam to being in Christ, from being in darkness to being in light, Without the cross, not only could we not be forgiven, we also couldn't relate to God by this new way of grace. Lastly, Christ triumphed over evil. On the cross, Christ triumphed over the devil and all the evil powers in the heavenly realms. The devil thought that the cross would be his victory over Christ, but instead it was Christ's victory over him. In the cross, Jesus not only atoned for sin, but he was obedient all through his life. He was obedient even to the point of going to the cross because it was the Father's will, of suffering on the cross because it was the Father's will. And Christ's obedience, right from his birth, right to his death, his perfect obedience broke that pattern of humanity being disobedient. Christ's obedience was the first human life who had ever been obedient in all of human history. Humanity had a new start now with Christ. Sin had reigned over humanity. We always failed. We always gave in to sin. Temptation comes. We give in. Maybe not all the time. But nobody has been perfect. Nobody's been sinless. Apart from Jesus. When he came, he broke that pattern. 
and he gained victory over sin and death. Sin did not conquer him. He conquered sin. He undid the fall. He opened the door to paradise for humanity. The devil no longer held humanity under the condemnation of sin. In Christ, humanity was freed from the chains of bondage. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christ triumphed over the spiritual rulers and authorities, Paul tells us. He did it for us. He did it for God's glory. The cross is the most significant event in human history. Far more important than creation. God creating something, he could do that just by speaking the word. It wasn't a big thing for him. He breathed life into humanity. We became living souls. More so, that's something different that all the other animals didn't have. God coming in the flesh, Jesus living on this earth was significant. But him dying on the cross, being separated from the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is more than a creating work of God, than a manifesting work of God in the flesh. Christ becoming sin, becoming the atoning sacrifice for sin on the cross, being forsaken by the Father, that we might be able to relate to God, not on the basis of us keeping his laws, but on the basis of God's grace to us. Christ overcoming all the work of the devil, the powers of the evil rulers and authorities. These are reasons why the cross is the most important event in human history. And if we, like the Colossians who Paul was writing to, are tempted to feel we need something more, we need more oomph in our Christian walk, and we look to this or we look to that, if it's not rooted in Christ then we will not get fulfillment. We will not become more fulfilled. If we want fulfillment, we need more of Christ. All of the Godhead, all of God, all of deity is in Christ, in a human body. And in him, we have fullness. All the fullness we need. So let's not forget the cross. Let's keep our minds on the cross. Let's keep coming back to the cross as the reason the reason why we can know God, the reason why we can be filled with all the fullness that we need in Christ. He has done it all. We just need to rely on him and not ourselves. We need more of him to be filled with him who is the fullness of all deity. Let's praise God and let's thank him for what he has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we struggle to understand. We're only getting little glimpses, little insights into what you have done for us, the significance of the cross. How can we understand what you have done? But Lord, we know enough. We know enough to be able to know that that is all that we need. You are all that we need. Forgive us when we have 
sought fulfillment in other things other than the gifts and the blessings you legitimately give us. Lord, help us to look to the cross. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to delight in you and what you have done for us. And help us, Lord, never to tire of seeking you. Never tire of drawing closer to you. Lord, help us to to not look for other things to give us fulfillment. But Lord, help us to look more to Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the many ways in which the cross is so significant, the most significant event in our history. And we thank you for your grace and love towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.